Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. I'm David. Today we are joined by owner of Waste Not Compost, Liam Donnelly. Waste Not Compost, Chicago's first and only zero emission compost collection, was born in 2015. Waste Not Compost currently serves homes and all business types ranging from schools, cafes, bakeries, farmers markets, and everything in between. They take the work out of composting for you so it can not only be easy to do in an urban setting, but also is a clean experience with all the tools provided at every pickup. Welcome, Liam. How are you doing today? Doing very well, thank you. Awesome. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Absolutely. I'm a uh, lifelong Chicago resident, Lincoln Square native, uh, who grew up composting in my backyard in May of 2020, I graduated from Loyola University of Chicago and their Institute of Environmental Sustainability. And I'm the co-founder of Waste Not Compost, which is Chicago's only zero emissions compost collection service. Actually, we're the only zero emissions compost collection service anywhere. Kind of before we get into, you know, what what it means and what what the importance of being a zero emission composting company is, but what what inspired your passion for composting? It started when you were young correct? Yeah, I wouldn't uh, describe it as a passion for composting until very recently. It was really, you know, second nature uh, to me. I grew up composting. There was composting in place in my household before I was even born. Uh, So I grew up with it as part of my life. I thought it was normal. Uh, I thought everybody did it. And it wasn't until I started working at a local cafe that touted their sustainability and didn't compost, uh, where I realized that it wasn't so normal. It was something that was so easy for me growing up. And then I realized it was a challenge for places that had more food waste than a typical household. That's really interesting because growing up in Chicago, uh, we went to a local Montessori school and they really instilled the, the passion for like recycling and paper, uh, plastic, aluminum all had to be separate we even took field trips to a local recycling plant uh, and so for from that experience it grew into an understanding that recycling is great for the environment it's something that you should be doing and seeing it now turn to compost doing it at home and having a disconnected at um, possibly like school or major organizations um, or work uh, it's interesting to see that um, education is a huge part of growing on a movement to growing on a, a behavior. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I didn't actually realize the environmental benefits of composting uh, until pretty late in my life, uh, probably around the time I was 13 or 14. What really inspired me to pursue composting in my household and take it on as a chore that I kind of stole from my brothers. Uh, was the transformation process of seeing food waste turn into this dark, rich soil. Uh, I had no idea that that meant you know, we were reducing greenhouse gas emissions and saving the environment one banana peel at a time. Uh, really, my obsession with it came from this whole process, the transformation of seeing my food turn into soil, being consumed by the only organisms I could see at the time were like worms. But that process is what really kind of got me to the point of obsession with composting. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit more? So did your, did your parents compost? Is that, 
you said you grew up with it. What was, what was that like in your household? And, and did you have friends coming over kind of not understanding, you know, if they ate over at your house, what it would mean to compost their, their food waste? Yeah, not, so I grew up composting. My parents were composting before I was born. My dad's mom, uh, my dad grew up in Oak Park and they were composting. Uh, so it just became something that they did. Uh, it really, I mean, it wasn't that obvious that we were composting. We have a small Lincoln Square backyard. I mean, 150 square feet, maybe. Uh, there, we didn't garden. We were Irish. We grew potatoes. Uh, my dad grew basil. We tried tomatoes. Uh, there wasn't, it was all pre-consumer. We're doing backyard composting. We can't do much of the food that was from our plates. So it was the food waste that was generated in the cooking process, eggshells, uh, and then fruits and vegetable waste. It wasn't anything where a friend would come over and say, what is composting? Uh, but it was definitely something that I have three brothers and all of us were ingrained uh, you know, early on that this was the way our food waste went. If it could go in the compost bin, if it was a fruit or vegetable, coffee grounds or eggshell, uh, that went in the countertop bin. And one of us would have the chore that would rotate to bring it out and turn the pile. So you had, did you have a, a barrel system or... Uh, was it just a shovel? I, we had the, um, my favorite bin ever actually, which is a city subsidized, uh, they call it the earth machine. And usually like in April, the city would sell these at a discount at the North Park Nature Center. Uh, and it's by far the most simple composting solution you can do in the backyard. Uh, it's open at the bottom. So the microorganisms, the worms will come up from the soil into it uh, and you add food waste in the top and by the time it reaches the bottom it's finished I at one point convinced my parents to go out and buy like a hundred and fifty dollar barrel system from Costco uh, only to learn that it's incredibly heavy to turn and it fills up with water when it rains it was a disaster so I'm a big fan of keeping it simple nice well talk to us about waste not um, how did that idea come about and and talk about you know, the history of, of starting your own company? Yeah, you know, this, the company kind of chose me. It was really by chance. Uh, I was working in a cafe where I started composting their coffee grounds on the side. This was something I was in high school and I would do it before and after school. I'd pick up five gallon buckets of their coffee grounds. And for about two months, I was doing this just as a hobby. And one day the manager pulled me aside and you know, realized I was doing probably more work composting every week than I was doing in the kitchen, getting paid. And he offered to start paying me for something that I was already doing, uh, which was kind of the light bulb moment uh, where you're going to pay me for something I'm doing already and that I like to do. Uh, it was something I was very passionate about. And I thought it was just going to be something I did throughout high school. Uh, but because I was 15 at the time, I didn't have a driver's license. And I was doing this all with a bike and a bike trailer. And because of the ridiculous sight of someone pulling hundreds of pounds of coffee grounds on his bike, uh, other cafe owners would come in and say, who's composting for you? Who's your compost kid? And they'd set up accounts with me as an employee of their respective cafe. Uh, so through high school, I was composting for three cafes. As an employee of each cafe, I composted four, which was really great for me. They took care of my unemployment insurance. You know, they weren't 1099 me. It was a very lucky and fortunate experience to be in Lincoln Square where Business owners really cared about uh, that process. And 
I thought that was it. I thought, you know, once I'd leave high school, uh, I'd probably go away to college and we'd end it there. But customers at these cafes started asking about composting and they wanted me to compost for their like residences, their apartments, their condos, their backyards. Uh, I really didn't understand that because I grew up composting and I said no to at least 40 of these customers. And it wasn't until 2015 where a classmate of mine, Lauren, uh, we were in high school together in an environmental science class. She kind of knew what I was doing on the side, but called me out for this because she lived in a condo and she wanted the compost, but couldn't. She convinced me that it was worthwhile to offer a service uh, to homes as well as businesses. And together in 2015, we launched the residential program, uh, starting with one farmer's market where we'd advertise our services. And by the end of that first summer, I was collecting from over 250 households and a handful of cafes and small restaurants, uh, still on bicycle and growing at a rate that I never imagined the business would grow. Where did you put all that compost? Well, at this stage, uh, I don't like to talk about these days, David. You're going to get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> no worries. No, no secrets revealed. We're not going to incriminate. Our podcast is not meant to incriminate people. So everybody knows the story. You know, I started out in my parents' backyard. I took over the garage. I took over the small backyard we had. The neighbors were incredibly supportive. They were really more interested in the finished compost uh, than any concerns about smell or rodents. Because if it's done right, if you do composting right, you, you don't get those rodents. You don't get the smell. Uh, it's really not a nuisance. It's when you get lazy that composting goes bad and gets a bad rep. So that's actually a really great transition because like, what are the top misconceptions about composting that you'd like to bust right now for folks? Our, who own, our own Mythbusters portion yes. of the show. <laughs> well, I think something that we get asked a lot is why separate compostables? Why take the extra step of separating your compostable waste from your trash? Doesn't it all compost anyway? Uh, and that's probably the biggest misconception is that this food waste composts in landfills. Uh, and it's something that just doesn't happen. It's actually, uh, it's, it's quite a problem. The way landfills or modern landfills are designed, they're designed to protect our drinking water. And because of that, they're sealed at the bottom and they're packed into these tight cells of waste. So they're like, they're building blocks of landfill waste, essentially. They're more like a pyramid than a big pit. And because of that, there's no oxygen in landfills. Uh, and without oxygen, the breakdown process of food waste is anaerobic. And the anaerobic breakdown of food waste contributes to methane emissions. And methane is a greenhouse gas that we don't think about very often. We're not seeing it, we're not smelling it. Uh, but on conservative estimates, the EPA estimates it to be 25 times as harmful as carbon dioxide. Uh, and that is like the number one misconception I'm trying to beat is how do I educate the public that food waste is not composting in landfill. Instead, it's contributing this really, really potent greenhouse gas that we're all suffering from. I mean, I think composting is a lot easier than convincing individuals to stop driving or take the bus or start walking more. I think we can all convince restaurants and homes to just throw their food waste in a different colored bin. Yeah, can you walk us through um, the process of becoming a, a waste not customer? How does it work? You know, um, 
what can you compost? How should folks go about composting? How do you determine like pickup needs, et cetera? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you might have to push me for things I'm not saying just because I do this all day. Uh, I don't give much thought to it. There's, we do composting a little bit differently. Uh, most people, when they think of composting, they think of your raw fruits and vegetables, your coffee grounds, your eggshells, um, maybe your paper towels or newspaper. And that's what's typically associated with backyard composting. And backyard composting, they're smaller piles. They don't get quite so hot. Uh, there's not a whole lot that can be processed uh, in that setup. We compost on the industrial side. Uh, so we're able to take all food waste that includes cooked and uncooked foods, includes meat scraps, bone, solid dairy. Anything that goes on your plate can pretty much be composted, anything you could consume with the only exception being excessive liquid. Uh, and that's not because it can't be composted. It just ends up being very smelly. Uh, and that is something that we try to avoid. So we're able to compost everything that you could put on your plate, anything that was once growing. You know, if it grows, it goes. Uh, and then commercial compostables. So your compostable cups, your compostable cutlery, uh, your compostable plates and napkins. And it's a pretty simple process. Nobody knows exactly how much waste they produce prior to starting the program. Uh, there's estimates, you can guess, but we try to keep it pretty simple. We start with a small program where for our restaurants or commercial accounts, we provide 32 gallon carts. For our residences, we provide five gallon pails. Uh, you are able to put all of your compostable waste directly into that pail or bucket or cart. And either every week or every other week, we come by and we swap out that container with a fresh, clean one. Uh, if it ends up being something where you, know, you fill up that container within three days, it's relatively easy to add a second cart on. Well, the biggest thing that we try to avoid is recommending that a restaurant takes on more carts than they actually need and end up paying for a service that they're not fully utilizing. So you tote 32 gallon containers on a bicycle still, or have you uh, upped your transportation game? You know, we've, uh, we've gone through a slight transition, a slight upgrade. Uh, there was a period of waste not that uh, was incredibly sustainable for the environment, but Lauren has called uh, sustainable waste, not unsustainable Liam. And it was this process where she was growing this company behind the scenes. She, uh, following the summer of graduation from high school and incorporation, uh, Lauren went to Indiana University's Kelly School of Business in Bloomington and was growing this company remotely. And I was the labor. Uh, I was biking 12, the, probably 12 hours a day on average, uh, six to seven days a week. And it got to a point where I could no longer keep up with the growth on bike. Uh, but I had also gotten myself into a position where there was no eighth day in the week. I couldn't train. I couldn't take time to train another cyclist or employee. So I was trying to hire cyclists. Uh, I got a lot of avid bikers applying, but not many people have towed a couple hundred pounds behind them on a bike. And as fun as it might sound, uh, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into that process year-round. Uh, so it really became a challenge for the company. Uh, but we were committed to our zero emissions model. It started by necessity, uh, but it became 
you know, a core aspect of our mission. If we're going to offer a sustainable service, we should offer it sustainably. Uh, so we've adopted this kind of mantra of delivering sustainability sustainably. And that led to the first purchase of our electric van. Uh, we started with one electric van, I think three years ago now. And today we have a growing fleet of 16. That's amazing. That's huge. Uh, we're one of the largest fleet owners of electric vehicles in the country, which is really, we're only beat by the Fortune 500s out there. Uh, so the FedEx, Coca-Cola, UPS, in terms of 100% pure electric vehicles, we're one of the largest fleet owners, definitely in the Midwest and likely amongst the country. You know, I've been trying to find companies that are beating us. And I think there's a taxi cab company out of Madison. But we've got into a situation where we want to be 100% zero emissions and we want to get to the point where we can be certified as a carbon negative business, uh, not just carbon neutral. Well, I really like um, the, the logo on the, on the electric vans and on, um, on your buckets. Can you talk about who you worked with to design your, your brand? Yeah, we've gone through a lot of branding. I, was, I didn't see the value in branding originally. Uh, we were growing at a rate that I couldn't maintain myself. And uh, because of that, I, I constantly worry about changes that we make that will lead to uh, more rapid growth than we're already experiencing. And it took Lauren five years to convince me that branding was a worthwhile venture and something that we should pursue. We have these electric vans they look like spaceships when we first get them. They're just white and black and uh, there's no doors on the sides. There's, you know, they only have one entry door. Uh, they're really unique looking, but people would stop us on the street and say, who are you? Are you Amazon? Are you Google? Like who is this futuristic van driving down the street? And I can't tell you how many times we got asked, like, are we Google? Uh, and I don't know what Google would be delivering, but that's who they thought we were. Uh, so we went through our first branding phase, I want to say towards the end of 2019. Uh, and we wanted to create a brand where it was reflective of, you know, that we're local, we're a local company. We're not some giant conglomerate sporting electric vans, but also appeal to our roots. So after we left my parents' backyard, we were in the Ravenswood industrial corridor along with our breweries. So with all our neighbors being breweries, we wanted to kind of have a brand that appealed to that aesthetic, uh, the brewery vibe, and was still something that was unique and environmental. Uh, so that's where our colors come from. There's the bucket at the base of our logo with uh, plants that grow out of it. It's a striking design. I just think that, you know, um, I'm really you know, congratulations on the business doing so well on its own, but I think that the branding does elevate um, I'm not sure how, how David feels, but um, we're, we're very much brand people so, uh, and logo design people. So we really appreciate it. It made me want to compost even more. <laughs> that, that's what I like to hear. If there's one, uh, one objective of the branding, it's to uh, really become that. And it had the fit across the board, both in the residential side and the commercial side of our business. Uh, because as much as we're a composting company, uh, right now, we're also a point of conversation. Uh, you have this bucket in your kitchen and you know, before it was just essentially a bucket off the shelf at Home Depot with no branding. It looked pretty ugly. 
Uh, we don't want this to be something that you hide underneath your sink or in your closet. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be easy. Uh, and it also, we want it to be something where you invite your friends over to the kitchen or to your house for a meal and they see this bucket and they want to do it too. And in order to achieve that, it's got to be clean. It's got to be easy. It's got to be a very like simple process for everybody involved. I have to be honest. Um, I got my parents to compost and literally my mom said, what will the neighbors think? <laughs> because she didn't know exactly what uh, composting or what it was going to look like within her house. And so when I showed up with the bucket, she was like, oh, this is really nice. <laughs> and so now she leaves it on her front uh, stoop when it's time for pickup. And she's had conversations with her neighbors about what it is uh, to compost. And my mom being in her, let's say mid sixties, that's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> well, it's, it's a big, uh, there's a big fear about taking composting on in an urban setting. A lot of it's from you know, lazy backyard composters or just those that get overwhelmed. I don't want to call them all lazy. There's just like, you get into this habit of trying to get everything in your bin and then it gets to a point where you can't manage it on your own anymore. And it leads to these smells, it leads to rodents, it leads to complaints from your neighbors. Uh, and it's still, that's a big thing that we fight here uh, in Chicago is the misconception associated with composting. Our buckets are airtight, they're cleaned with every service. We invested uh, right at the beginning of this pandemic, we put $60,000 into a new sanitizing program uh, for our company where every pail after it's collected and dumped and washed then goes through an industrial sanitizer. But we still have building management and we still have condo associations and HOAs that fight residents composting. They don't like this idea of having a bucket set out for the six hours once every two weeks to get serviced. So I love it. I love when I hear that it's a positive aspect of conversation rather than the bucket that's feared and you know, your neighbors are asking you to take it off your porch or take it out of the lobby. We're working hard to combat that connotation of composting. I mean, I think if people actually paid attention to how much of their garbage actually contains, you know, either recyclable material or food waste, you know, I think that they would be really surprised if, if we kind of test people with um, tracking even a, a week's worth of trash and, um, you know, the results would be remarkable, you know, and we're happy here. We finally got our, our waste not bucket this week on the, on the 30th on, on Tuesday. So I was very excited. We have a, a, a family of seven and picky eaters and I was tired of throwing things away. So I was glad you serviced our area. Um, and I'm looking forward to to composting and continuing this practice. So Laura, you're based in Wilmette and you get service from a waste knot. Liam, where within the city limits and in the suburbs do you, uh, does your area uh, service? That's a great question. Uh, because of our origin on bike, we were very conservative with how we expanded. Uh, I found myself biking like half an hour to pick up a single pail and 20 minutes to the next uh, member. And that wasn't anything that I could maintain long-term as we grew. Uh, so because of that, we have been very careful about neighborhood by neighborhood expansion. Uh, we serve in terms of the city, we go as far 
as the border of Evanston. That's our northern boundary, I guess, is Evanston. Our southern boundary is rapidly expanding, but we go out into the, the south loop. We go Pilsen. Really, what I'm trying to say is we, we expand by demand. If there's significant demand anywhere in the city, we will service that area. Uh, if I were to give you the answer that Lauren and Ben and the rest of the company would like me to give, uh, that requires I look at the website and tell you. So what you're saying, if people want lace knots, they can just sign up and you you will deliver. If people if people want waste knot, we will deliver pending what their towns have to say about waste not doing business. You know, there are certain suburban and Chicago suburban uh, municipalities that have very strange waste hauling agreements, municipally sanctioned monopolies uh, that are not a fan of anyone else entering their territory. And that is our only thing that will prevent us from servicing the people that want it. That's nuts. You know, it's, uh, it's a very strange thing. It's not something I ever, you know, we take a lot of things for granted in the city. One of them is a widely supported free market for the most part, as much as we complain about sign permits and light permits. The city is actually pretty open to doing business in Chicago, as long as you're paying your fees. Uh, that is not the case for everywhere. I mean, there's suburbs that border Chicago that say only one private hauler can service their entire town or city, uh, which is something I'm still learning. I have a lot of questions, but I'm <laughs> I'm going to go to the ones that are scripted. Um... <laughs> <laughs> As far as farm to table movement uh, continues to hold place on one of the top ways to, for uh, locals to support their local agriculture, uh, especially through farmers markets and uh, community gardens, do you feel that composting should be added to that timeline? For example, should it start becoming farm to soil? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's definitely something that needs to be brought into this timeline, especially in the Midwest. Our Midwestern soils are being rapidly depleted. Uh, they hold less water, they erode more quickly. And we have this very simple process of converting wasted food into a nutrient rich soil amendment with very little transportation costs included. And I think it's critical that if we want long term sustainable agriculture and long-term sustainable restaurant business, we need to really think, start thinking about the soil that grows our food because it is disappearing and it's becoming a problem that is costing farms a lot of money, uh, especially in the Midwest. So I definitely think it should be included. I don't know the exact part of the timeline where it fits. There's farm to table and then there's table to soil. Uh, and back to the farm again. There's the residential side of it. And then there's also farm composting, which is something that I hope more farms really start doing in-house. It almost becomes not so much a timeline, but a cyclical practice. Exactly. And that's you know, just closing the loop. What I'll say here, I'll go from what I tell school groups I work with. And in every piece of food that is put on our plate, there are nutrients. And those nutrients extend even to the parts of the food that we don't consume. So the cores of your apple, the peels to your banana, the butts to the tomato, those all have nutrients that 
we're reminded of constantly that we need to consume for to be healthy humans. Uh, but what we forget is that once we throw those in the trash, those nutrients are then locked in a landfill forever. Those nutrients aren't coming back to the soil. They're not being returned. So the only you know, logical assumption there is that then they're being depleted. They're disappearing. Uh, and this is a very simple way of ensuring that doesn't happen. Because in order for us to have healthy food and affordable food, we do need healthy soil. Yeah. And that's an excellent segue to, um, you know, the composting, you know, process in terms of how long does it take to, to do, you know, take to make that, that black gold in return, you know, you pick up your bucket, you, you, um, you take it to your composting site. Like what is the, the timeline? So this is one of the incredible aspects of industrial composting, uh, on the backyard end of things, you're lucky if you get quality finished compost in three months during the summer. Uh, it can take nine months in the colder months for you to convert your food waste into soil. Uh, and that's because part of the process is heat and your volume is so much smaller. On the industrial side, if you're doing it right, it really shouldn't take any longer than 90 days year round. The way that we're implementing composting in urban settings, we'll be able to get this from bucket to soil uh, within a month, which is just an incredible transformation in food waste. And it also does something that's really important for the business model, where unlike landfills that require vast amounts of space and they're sunk investments where once they're filled, there's nothing you can do with them. Uh, it allows for composting facilities to really be you know, compost factories, soil stations, soil factories, uh, where you can produce an output as quickly as you're taking the input. And it really reduces the footprint of our operation. So in ideal circumstances right now, we're looking at about 30 days transformation. That's an uh, incredible turnaround. Do you uh, then sell the compost? Do you donate it to community gardens? Um, what do you like to do with your compost? Or what can you do with your uh, compost? Yeah, that is a great question. You know, when I grew up composting, the reason I fell in love with it was because of the transformation process. Seeing my food waste become the finished product was critical. And I believe it's critical that those that compost with waste not see the transformation process. Uh, I don't want it to be something like recycling where we really don't know if it's occurring. We don't know what's going on after it leaves the blue bin. Uh, so with our program, all of our members, both residential and commercial, have access to the finished compost back for free. Uh, Pre-COVID, we did soil parties, uh, so compost parties essentially where we distributed compost back to our members. We got in restaurants that composted with us, and we provided food and festivity. I'm really hoping to bring that back sooner rather than later, but for now, uh, we still give back our soil uh, through distribution events every spring or fall, and our members get the finished compost back. That black gold is critical uh, to the process, and it really does need to become, come full circle. And you touched on briefly, um, you know, that you educate um, students, but what does your education model for composting look like? Do you have workshops, informational settings? Do people can come, can people come visit the facility uh, where the composting occurs? What's that look like? To the last point, soon, but not yet. Uh, until 
there's a few final aspects that we really want to get to for our operation to be show worthy. Uh, but we do a lot of work with schools. We've composted with schools almost since the beginning. And that's probably the most rewarding aspect of what we do because it allows for opportunities where I can come in and talk to each grade level or segments of grades and discuss composting and what it is based on their age. So simplifying things to the bare minimum for the kindergarten and first grade and second grade, uh, where we talk a lot about worms and slowly you know, increasing the amount of detail I go into as the age level increases to the point where eventually we start talking about the methane emissions and the reductions and the amazing qualities that the actual soil structure of compost has. Uh, most of our school composting programs are student run. Uh, for our elementary grades, it's like fifth graders. North Park Elementary is an example where you know the fifth grade class every year is in charge of the compost champions. They go in there and they do the pre-education at the beginning of each school year. They collect the compost from every classroom. They aggregate it into the bins that we service, and they're in charge of monitoring for contamination. And that's probably our single most important aspect of our work right now is getting schools composting uh, and school-aged children composting, because it's the only reason I compost today. It's the only reason that Lauren and I founded Waste Not was because I grew up with it. It was something that was second nature. It was normal. And it also helps that the children seem to be the most convincing aspect to get parents composting. Uh, I'm not in the business of policing what people throw in their trash and their compost bins, but their kids definitely are. And it's a great sight to see. All right. So Liam, you're up for our rapid fire questions now. David, you want to take the first, you want to take the first one, David? Sure. What is your favorite compost friendly product? Go. I love compostable coffee cups. They are by far my favorite. You never know when you're going to need that shot of espresso in your life. And by having the option to get something compostable, it just makes the decision so much easier. All right. Uh, besides composting, how do you spend your free time? What free time? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying this to get at because it doesn't sound like you have any. So this, this is my life. Uh, part, you know, there's this idea I have about not just being a good company, but also being a good place to work. And it's something that we stress with all of our employees that we need this to be a job where, you know, we pay well, we offer good benefits, we offer good work-life balance. But personally, this is my life. It is my obsession. It is my passion. Uh, it's pretty much all things sustainability. And if I have free time, I'm trying to get out of the city. I'm trying to go camping. I'm trying to go hiking. Uh, I like to be in nature. Liam, that, we saw you uh, worked at a local coffee uh, cafe growing up. Do you have a favorite coffee drink? Do you just like caffeine shots in your arm? How do you get through the day? Oh, I am a mocha fiend. Uh, I love my mochas and I cannot go without them. I, when I first started working uh, at 15, I didn't drink coffee. I didn't touch espresso. Uh, I was doing hot chocolates for days. And eventually my coworkers were like, we can't keep on giving you hot chocolates. You got to go. You got to do something different. Uh, the mocha was the next closest thing. 
What's your, uh, your, your, your hot, <laughs> your hot chocolate with your gateway drug. So, <laughs> you know, they called, they would just call it the adult hot chocolate. Uh, <laughs> and they've corrupted me to the point where I'm living off the stuff. Where's your, where's your go-to place? Ooh, this is tough. There are so many good coffee places in Chicago, uh, local and walkable. It's gotta be spoken cafe. Uh, Everything they have is compostable. They compost with us since the beginning. They were our second cafe ever, and they're committed to quality. Uh, if I were to go anywhere out and about, uh, I love Wormhole in Wicker Park, the original. Uh, I've never had a mocha so smooth in my life. All right. Um, if you could expand your business anywhere, this is anywhere in the world, where would that be and why? I don't know. I, I love Chicago. I, I don't ever want to leave Chicago. Uh, I guess I would try to find the next least sustainable pro city uh, in the country and go from there. If I can find a city that can beat our 9% recycling rate, uh, I think those are the cities that really need the service because composting is so much easier than recycling. Uh, there are so much fewer, so many fewer rules involved in the process. So if you can find me a city with worse recycling than Chicago, that's where Waste Nuts going next. 9%? That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on recycling. I get in trouble if I talk about it. What are the top three things that people don't think to uh, compost that you can compost? Uh, paper towels are huge, especially in our corporate settings and our restaurants that just are washing their hands all day, every day. Uh, because we're doing this on the industrial scale, we can take the bones and the meat scraps. Uh, and it's something that not a lot of people think to compost because it's not something that ever makes it to their plate. Uh, and then as common sense as it might seem, uh, the coffee grounds. Uh, on the backyard scale, everybody's thinking about coffee grounds, but when you have a service doing it for you, it's just typically not part of your workflow to compost uh, your espresso pox or uh, your coffee filters, but those are great for compost and they're really amazing at neutralizing any potential odors. And what are three things uh, you personally couldn't live without? Mochas, cheese, and probably pasta. I live off pasta. And when you're in your biking days, um, did you, did you listen to music at that time? What kept you going on the road? I definitely listened to music really anything to keep me awake during those days. Uh, that, that was a rough time in you know, my life by the end of it, because I, it really was, when I say blood, sweat, and tears, I mean literally all of the above. Uh, but really, it was the fact that I was motivated by what I was doing. Uh, there, and I think this extends to all of the people that work at Waste Not Today. There's no disconnect between our mission and the work we do. You can see the progress. Uh, I mean, just in the last four days, we've already diverted over 30,000 pounds of compostable waste. Uh, and seeing that pile up, seeing it come into the facility at the end of the day is really what kept me going. How can uh, folks connect with you now? Website, social media, how can we all be fans? The, the first place to start is definitely our website, www.wastenotcompost.com. Our Instagram, our social media, it really tells the story of who we are uh, and where we came from. If you want to take a deep dive, 
Uh, but pretty much, you know, we're ready to answer kind of posting questions all day, every day at our email, which is really just HQ at wastenotcompost.com. Well, thank you so much, Liam, for joining us today. We've really loved having you on. Thanks so much for having me. And Liam told you where to find Waste Not, but for show notes on today's episode, you can go to andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded via Zoom. We thank you for your listenership. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our production. Please email us at info at andersonville.org for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying always Andersonville.